0: Our reading is from Revelation chapter 19. Uh, should be nice and easy to find. Flip to the back of the Bible and jump back three chapters. At Revelation chapter 19. And we're starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Revelation 19, starting at verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power to our God. For his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they said, Hallelujah, the smoke goes up from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and all who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the, linen, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Beautiful.
1: Let's pray, uh, shall we? Father, let all human words be forgotten and let your spirit come and speak to all of our hearts we just say as your people we open our lives to you this morning we thank you for your beautiful holy presence amongst us and may that increase as we turn to your word we pray and all god's people said amen amen Feel a little bit bazookered after that time that we've had. And Jim, you just stewarded that so brilliantly in the worship team. And let's have a couple of weeks off again, shall we? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do a short three-week series starting today and over the next couple of weeks on a theme which we're gonna nibble at probably for the next year or two, which is about knowing an aspect of the nature of Jesus, which certainly in this church we haven't talked about a lot, and how that defines our understanding of who we are in him. And that's Jesus as our bridegroom, and us as his church as the bride. And I want to do it in this particular way, um, by asking you a question, first of all. And it's a question about something which you probably haven't thought about certainly for about a year which is what is your dream we've been at home haven't we we haven't been dreaming and some have been eroded or some have been lost perhaps my question is what is your dream what is our dream as God's family here at Chank. And far more importantly, because in the grand scheme of things, our lives are pretty inconsequential, aren't they? What is God's dream? And there's a difference between our calling and the dream. Our calling is like our mission. It's what we're meant to do but our dream is really the deepest thing in our innermost parts that we're responding to with joy and hope and excitement. And for us as a church, as we start 20, 2022, our calling is burning ever stronger. A calling that God has given us as a church over a few years now, that he began to whisper prophetically probably 20, 25 years ago that we wrote down as a leadership and as a people in the words of our vision which is 2033 but essentially is our calling is to see God's kingdom where Jesus reigns unquenched where his royal, holy, just ways are manifest. Our calling is to see how Jesus taught us to pray become an increasing reality here in our lives, here in church, and here where we live. That his kingdom, where he's the king, where he rules, where he reigns, and everything comes alive, and everything becomes what it really should be under his loving, just, and holy rule, where his kingdom would come, and his will would be done, here on earth, so that we begin to reflect the beauty and majesty and holiness of where God is, which is the kingdom of heaven. That's our calling. And we are pursuing that by living out in response five particular values that we've distilled from scripture and tried to say out of everything, this is is what kingdom come people look like. And the first one is this, all glory to God. All glory to God. You know, when stuff begins to happen, the great seduction that the enemy brings is that we lift the focus off God and we start to get really excited about how we're doing. Our church, first value on the tin, all glory to God. We're not content for any name to become louder than the name of the Lord Jesus. All glory to God. Everything began with him. Everything exists in him. And everything is returning to him. And we're here for a few moments to say, you are the one that we love. I love that time of worship where it's like the songs fall away and just our eyes are are on him. And if you were, as Jim was saying, a bit disconnected, can I just say, just, just hang around. Because he's just restoring our hearts so that they become what they were always meant to be, which is to say, you are the one that we love. You're the one that we, we give everything for in response to your majesty and your magnificence. All glory to God. You know, we've... Um, uh, I haven't got time to get into that. <laughs> Se- <laughs> Second value is that heaven is here. You know, Jesus came and announced what... His great reconciliation project looked like. And he, he announced it by saying, Repent, turn around, change your lives, because the kingdom where God is has now come near and it's at hand. He then launched that on the earth through his death, his resurrection, and when he ascended on high, he sent his spirit. And so now we live constantly excited because now something of heaven may just come into the world. He's all around us. Heaven is here. So there's never a day of great possibility in God because by faith, we can step into and access all that he has released, all that he's established and is releasing on the earth. Heaven is here. So we're not the Stepford Wives fake joy people. We're genuinely in joy. When we get struck on the cheek, we say, let's give you another one. Because we are irrepressible in him. Because in every situation, there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. The third one is um, thrilling as it is when we come into a corporate gathering like this. We take personal responsibility for (laughs) for being individual revivals wherever we go. So our third value, revival starts with me. I might not feel it. I might not be as good as the next person. I might be intimidated by this or by that, blah, blah, blah. But I am taking responsibility. If this kingdom is real, I'm going to learn how to live in it. I'm going to learn how to release it. I'm going to learn how to steward it. And I'm going to finish well because revival starts with me. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's how I live. That's how I live unceasing throughout the day, flowing in his life so that I can actually be effective on the earth. Revival starts with me. The fourth thing that we treasure is that we're not just a bunch of Gnostics enjoying a sort of thrilling experience upwards, but we are ruthlessly bringing this down into the natural. We've just finished 1 John, which was an object lesson in this. Love God and love one another. So we are saying we love him and find all this in him, and then we treat one another with the same way the Father's treated us. We assume the best. I mean, you're all a bunch of bandits, aren't you? And I'm the biggest one. I'd be dead in a ditch if it wasn't for Jesus. But because of him, I can treat you as a son and daughter of the Lord Almighty, saved by his wonderful grace. So I'm going to assume the best about your terrible life or your brilliant life. And We're going to treat one another with dignity. We're going to make sure no one gets left behind. And we make a powerful family full of his love. Because Jesus said, this is how the world will know you're my disciples. By the way that you love one another. And this is how they know that I am the son of God, by the way that you are together. But hey, we're not keeping it to ourselves, are we? Because we've been sent on mission to the ends of the earth. We've been sent institutionally to the ends of this parish where about seven or 8,000 people live. And there aren't that many here today. So we've still got work to do. It's great news. We're passionate about Ashington, Washington, and Whiston. And because the world is our parish, as that great Anglican, John Wesley said. It was his followers who set up the Methodist church. So I'm claiming him for one of ours. We're going to the ends of the earth. Wherever the Lord leads us. That the whole earth, that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God until Jesus returns that's our mission and our calling but it's not our dream someone said to me about six or nine months ago Southdown's awakening didn't quite work out as we expected uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in church looks like the dream is over you know it's lovely people do our calling and our mission rises and falls because we're actually, here's the COVID lesson, we're actually not in control of the whole world, are we? I don't know if you caught that. It's a few factors out of our control. (laughs) Circumstances rise and fall. But our dream is something else entirely. See, in the beginning, let's go to God's dream. In the beginning, an uncreated God a father a son and a spirit with pure holy love desired to create to create creatures that they could lavish their sacrificial outpouring of love onto not because they desired a bunch of yellow minions you know <laughs> you know not to have a power play where they could have some some followers but because their love was so pure that it reached out and they desired to create and to create children that could live in a space where the uncreated could come together with the created and live together in partnership forever and ever and ever. And so in Genesis 1, God, in his image, the image of the Father, Son, and Spirit, makes human beings, male and female, and the crowning moment of this is that God breathes life into Adam and brings a bride to him. And they become one flesh, Genesis 2 verse 24. And this union of man and woman, of a son and his bride, this union were to live with the uncreated God in this incredible place called Eden where heaven and earth could meet and they could be together forever and ever and ever. I just wanted to say we're banning chilies bottles because we haven't got a carpet. So, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's a joke. Um, And... And the mandate of the son and the bride would be to steward the earth in partnership with the uncreated God, and to be together forever and ever. And we know the story; they threw it away. They threw it away and turned to their own ways and their own devices. And so do so do we, don't we? If anyone ever gets annoyed with Adam and Eve, well, just take a look under the bonnet. Because we, we, do, we go our own way and have turned our own ways and all of that. I'm going to go to the end in a minute, but God sent another son to, to reconcile and to restore what had been lost. And he was called the second Adam. The last Adam, 1 Corinthians calls him. And then all of history is straining to this day that we're going to read about now in Revelation chapter 19. And if you've got a Bible, open it and just turn to that. And if you haven't brought a Bible, then bring one next week. So I want us to be able to see it in the week what we read about on Sundays. And John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, sees 2,000 years ago this incredible vision of what God is doing on the earth, of what's going on in heaven, And towards the climax of this, we read this in chapter 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God for his judgments are true and just. Just pause there a minute. When we come to know God, our understanding needs to fit into his ways rather than trying to make him fit our understanding. And so one of the highest expressions of worship is to say, your judgments, the things that you value, Lord, your leadership, your precepts are true and just. Not whether they fit into my 21st century Western understanding of them. And heaven responds it says, your judgments are true and just. He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He's judged the demonic force of uncleanness that is corrupting all things. And what's interesting, fornication is picked out here. And we're going to see the flip side of what God is doing in a moment. Let's take a look in our own day. Isn't sex and the body just being defaced every way we turn at the moment? That's going to come to an end at some point. And isn't the pressure on biblical, holy Christians, isn't the temperature turning up on that? But don't worry, because he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Where the pressure comes, there's a judgment and there's an end and there is a finality to what God is doing. And once more they said, Hallelujah, the smoke goes up from her forever and ever the judgments that God will will make on the force of evil in the world will, will last forever and ever and ever. They'll never end and they'll be final. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who's seated on the throne saying, Amen, we agree with your leadership. We agree with your ways. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants and all who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. The marriage of the lamb has come. Now, if you know Jesus, you have been united with Jesus by his blood that we're going to remember and partake of in a few moments time in communion. And our union with God is real and it's spiritual right now. But where all of history is going is there's going to be a marriage between the father's son and the bride of Christ who come together and are physically and materially in space and time, for all space and time, united together. Because we're in the 21st century, um, they're united together. Let's not sexualize that, but they become one and they become united and they are utterly together in union forever and ever and ever. Now, I ask the question, what is God's dream? astonishingly, graciously, mercifully, astonishingly, God's dream is us. God's dream is us. And the Father looks on in heaven and wanted to provide a bride for his first earthly son, Adam, and then sent a second earthly son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who was incarnated and became the last Adam. And the Father's dream is that he will provide a bride for his son. And they will become one forever and ever and ever. Now, can you imagine if you're married and you've had children, and if you are not married and you haven't had children, look on on someone else in the family or someone in church. Can you imagine the pride of a father seeing the son get his loving reward? Everything he dreamed of. And at this marriage supper in the Lamb where all of heaven's kicking off, the elders are praising God on the throne. There's a, 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 the voice, the sound of a mighty waters and thunder. It's, a, you know, it's going on. And at that moment, the coming together of the, the, the material, physical, earthly bride coming together with the Son forever and ever and ever. And all of heaven rejoices. And the Father's like, wow, this is what I've done. Now, the grace bit is we are the bride. We're the one that he loves. We're the reward for Jesus Christ. For everything that he laid his life down on the cross and rose defeating death for in the resurrection, we are his reward. We may not feel it, we may not deserve it, but that is what he's done. And there's coming a day where we're going to be united with the Son forever and ever. And and everything that was lost in Eden will be restored. We will reign with Him under the care and watch of the Father forever and ever and ever. And what happens is that the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has now made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. And the description of this is, comes now. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now what's John seeing? John's seeing is that the bride has been made ready. She's clothed in, in fine linen. And that fine linen is righteous deeds. Now it doesn't mean that the bride needs to do a load of righteous deeds to accomplish the fine linen. But what's going on is that the status... For our holiness and our purity that was won by the blood of Jesus has now so consumed our lives and our thoughts and our hearts and our minds that every part of us flows out in righteous, holy, pure deeds. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we do bad stuff, it's because our hearts are dysfunctional. And when we do good stuff, it's because our hearts are flowing and full of his glory. And there's a day when the son receives his reward and the bride is absolutely perfect and made ready because the outward utterly reflects the beauty and the purity of the inward. And what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this. God's dream is us. And our calling are the things that we do. But our dream gets to be Him. Our dream gets to be Him. Every single person in Scripture that God values has made made God their dream. He's the one that their innermost parts cry out for and say, You are the one that I love. You are the loveliest. You are the most beautiful. You're the majestic. You're the one that I love. And I'm not saying these to get you to hear my worship. I'm saying them because I've seen how wonderful and beautiful you are. Think about David, the one guy who God said, he's a man after my own heart. David in Psalm 27 says this. And in Psalm 27, David's writing a worship song. Brilliant. (laughs) David's writing a worship song being chased by enemies and he says there's one thing I desire, Psalm 27 verse 4, is to see your beauty, is to be in your presence, is to be in your temple forever and to inquire about your beauty. So David's not saying can you please get rid of my enemies. Can you please save me? Can you please sort my life out? David's saying, no, I don't care if I'm being chased. You're my prize. You're the one that I want to see. You're the beautiful one. Does this make sense? And the way that we begin to become the prepared bride for Jesus is when we say over ourselves, my dream, my innermost parts are going to desire you. They are going to love you. They are going to see you for who you are. And they are going to respond by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name in response to who he is. He's our prize. He's the pearl of great price that we sell everything for. He's the Psalm 73, verse 25. Who am I in heaven and earth but you? Is you and you alone. And what God is doing, I believe, right now, is he wants our hearts. know, the reason the Old Testament talks a bit about spiritual adultery is because our hearts wander and all of that. And he's saying to us right now, I want your hearts to prepare yourself as the bride of Christ in preparation for the Son to be with him forever. And I don't know when the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to come, But i tell you what, I'm going to be ready for it. I am going to be ready for it because I don't want to let an inch of my life look towards another, look towards anything else, but look to the one that I love. Song of Songs 2 verse 16. (laughs) I am my beloved and he is mine. And so this reading finishes by simply saying, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is an invitation to you and to me to make our dream the Lord Jesus, to make him our great prize, to make him the one that we love above all. (laughs) Is that alright? Just as we gather, we're going to go into something in in a moment. Let's just place a hand on our heart, shall we? Who's getting ready? I'm getting prepared. I want the status that Jesus won for me on the cross to be an experiential, daily, gloomy Thursday morning reality every day. That I genuinely love him for who he is. That our deeds and our words will overflow from hearts which have been blissed in response to who he is. You up for that? And all God's people said together. Amen.